There's a point in your life where the blinders have to come off. Your awareness of what's going on in the world just clicks and your priorities shift. I would say early on, my priorities were to put my foot on the gas pedal and to go as fast and as far as I could before I had kids. That was my goal because in my mind, if I was senior enough, I would be able to dictate my own hours. I would have the flexibility I needed to say I need to go pick up my kids or whatever the case may be. There was a time where I was passed over for promotion. And it's a promotion I'd been working towards. And I thought, what in the world? Why did I not get this? I was told I would get it. And that was a disappointment. Given that I had a trajectory in mind and I had a timeline in mind, I started to think, wow, someone else has control over how much money I'm going to make. Someone else has control over how fast I can get to a certain point. And that didn't sit well with me. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 106 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is the show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. For this episode, I'm taking a deeper dive and sharing more about my transition out of corporate America. We have quite a few new members in our podcast community, and I thought this would be a great time to answer your questions about what my career on Wall Street was like, why I chose to leave corporate America, how I prepared for that transition, and how I decided on growing my digital strategy consulting business. As a reminder, this series of episodes is recorded during our weekly Instagram Live. So from time to time, you may hear me responding to comments from the audience or hear the voice of someone I've invited to come on live with me. Before we hear the rest of this episode, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories we share on the show can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script as I share more about my transition out of corporate America. I really did have or felt privileged to have the job that I did because it gave me so much access to knowledge and experiences. And when I first joined Goldman, I was so surprised at the level of responsibility they gave me, even as an analyst. And by the end of my time there, I'd I'd become a vice president. But it was interesting that I would be able to call very, very senior executives at different companies on Main Street, and they would take my calls. So the fact that I left, I think, is something that was very surprising to a lot of people, my manager included. I mentioned on the post that when I first let her know that I was leaving the company, she was surprised. She thought I'd pulled her into the room to talk about business as usual or to talk about something that needed her attention. She just kind of looked at me and said, this was not what I expected you to say. Because when people saw me, they saw a careerist. They saw someone who most likely was going to work for corporate America forever. But I did decide that I was going to leave. And I think that's something that I had to explain to the people who are closest around me because they wanted to know, what are you doing? Like, you have it made. So today I wanted to go into a little bit more detail about my backstory. If you listen to my She's Off Script podcast, I did a little bit of a kind of a why I left Goldman Sachs 
episode, but it's been a while since I've done that, two years in fact, and I wanted to go into a little bit more detail. So that's what we're doing today. Now, I would say it's probably worth it to give you a little bit of background. I I worked there for almost 10 years, but before that in college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And given that I'm an immigrant, I'm Ghanaian, born in Ghana, but raised all over the world. I lived in Bhutan in Southeast Asia. My younger sister was born there. My family had a stint in Southern Africa and Swaziland. We lived there for a while as well, been in Europe and then here in the US. So. as a daughter of an immigrant, you're driven to succeed because they tell you go out, get a great education and get the job that's going to pay you the most and give you the most stability. Right. So in my mind, I had the gift of gab and I figured I could talk my way out of almost anything. Why not be a lawyer? So in high school, mind you, in high school, I got a paralegal uh, license. And this is me. This is something I did while running track, while working at a fast food restaurant. At night, I would come home after the fast food restaurant and I would study. So I became certified as a paralegal, went to college. And while most people were working as waitresses, I worked at a law firm throughout college. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. The lawyer, it was fairly small. So I got to go to court. I got to meet with clients. I got to, got to draft documents and, and briefs for the, our clients. And that was great responsibility to have as a college student. But I think the straw that broke my law school dreams um, was I got to intern for the European Court of Human Rights and the Council of Europe in Strasbourg, France. So I lived there for a year. I interned for them. And what I saw at that level didn't interest me. When I saw that this is what I was aspiring towards, it didn't interest me. And that's the value of internship is or internships is that you get an opportunity to see what your future looks like. And for me, it just wasn't it. So I came back from France that year and Goldman Sachs was hiring. So I thought, ah, sounds interesting. Sure. Let's go ahead and jump in and get some interview um, opportunities. And I have to tell you the truth here. I didn't really know who they were. I just knew they were an established company and they would pay me fairly well. So I thought, great, let's jump in there. And after 10 interviews and being flown all over uh, for interviews, I got a job and I moved to Salt Lake City. So uh, if you don't know my background, I went to undergrad at CU Boulder, got my master's or my MBA from Cornell, but undergrad was CU Boulder. And I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to work with Goldman there. Uh, over the years, I've, I worked with Goldman in Singapore. I worked with them here in Dallas, where I am. But I was just in it for the job, in it for the opportunities. And I proceeded to put my head down and work hard. Um, but coming in, I was definitely at a disadvantage because my parents, being immigrant parents, were still learning the corporate system. And so there were no tips and tricks handed down to me, right? There were no, when you go into a meeting, do this. This is how you play the corporate game. I wasn't taught that. So I had to be fairly quick on the uptake because quite frankly, my white counterparts, a lot of them had interned. So they knew people, they had connections, they had a track record already. And I was working from behind. So coming in, I thought, okay, 
this is how I, I kind of saw how things were going. I missed out on some opportunities and I had to learn from those lost opportunities. I had to figure out, well, what did he or she do to get that? And why didn't I get it? Ah, I should have done one, two and three. And that's what I did. And steadily, I was able to work my way up from analyst to associate to vice president. So if you're familiar with the way a lot of Wall Street banks work, um, at the vice president level, you're an executive director. And then after that, you become a managing director and then a partner of the firm. So that's what I had my eye on. I had my eye on being a partner at Goldman Sachs. And by all accounts, that's where I was headed. But um, I know someone asked me, what was the turning point for you? Where did the, the, the train go off the rails, the proverbial rails, so to speak? And why did you decide to jump off of that if everything was going so well? And I think that's a great question to ask. I, I would say there's a, a point in your life where the blinders have to come off. I think your awareness of what's going on in the world, just it just clicks and your priorities shift. I would say early on, my priorities were to put my foot on the gas pedal and to go as fast and as far as I could before I had kids. That was my goal because I, in my mind, if I was senior enough, I would be able to dictate my own hours. I would have the flexibility I needed to say I need to go pick up my kids or whatever the case may be. That was my thinking. So I needed to be as high and senior as possible. I needed to be making as much money as possible. And so that was my driving force for so many years. And at the end of the day, I, I don't know, something just clicked. And I think the clicking point for me was there was a time where I was passed over for promotion. And it's a promotion I'd been working towards. And I thought, what in the world? Why did I not get this? I was told I would get it. And that was a disappointment. And then given that I had a trajectory in mind and I had a timeline in mind, I started to think, wow, someone else has control over how much money I'm going to make. Someone else has control over how fast I can get to a certain point. And that didn't sit well with me. So I think that first time I was passed over for a promotion, I mean, and there's so many reasons why, but I got, I definitely got smarter about playing the game, quote unquote, when I got passed over for that promotion. And I think we can have a separate conversation about how I was able to establish, you know, mentorship relationships and how I was able to establish um, sponsorship relationships, which are different. I even today, I still talk about having a board of directors around you. So that's essentially a group of people around you that play different roles, but help you or help move you towards a certain point. So I was able to build that to where at one point the CFO was a sponsor of mine and I would put a meeting on his calendar and he would take it. Right. So CFO holds the purse strings. I was trying to get promotions. I was trying to get more money. So that was a great relationship um, that I came about very organically and I'm very thankful for his sponsorship, but I got smarter about how I did things and I formed the the best relationships I could within the company. And it got me far. It got me a lot of visibility to the point where I was running global projects to the point where I got global assignments. I, I got to work for Goldman in Singapore. That was amazing to the point where I had two my two girls while still at Goldman and I got promoted every single time I was on maternity leave. So by all accounts, things were going well. Why did I step off? I would say 
the point at which my awareness, I would, I would say, um, changed was when I got the opportunity. So one of my many side hustles within the company was to sit on their 10,000 small businesses selection committee and take 10 KSB as they call it is a little bit of an accelerator that they have for small businesses and the small businesses, the small businesses come in, they learn how to pitch for financing and funding. Um, they get a lot of coaching around marketing and things of that nature. And I helped to pick those companies that joined the accelerator or, you know, program that we had. I helped to coach some of these companies as well. And the, I think I was on that committee for four or five years. And the more I interacted with businesses, the more passionate I got about working with small businesses. And I started to notice certain trends around the way in which women presented themselves versus their male counterparts. And more specifically, the way in which women of color presented themselves um, in comparison to their uh, white female counterparts. And I just felt as though I wanted to be able to focus more on that. That wasn't my full-time job. It was my side hustle within the company, but I wanted to do it full-time. So I thought, this is what I want to do. Now, I would say moving on to how do you decide to make that transition? How do you navigate that? Because when you are working at a prestigious firm like Goldman Sachs, they call it the golden handcuffs, so to speak, because it's difficult to step away because of the money. Right. And so from a financial perspective, how do you prepare yourself to make that transition out of corporate? How did I do it? So I would say for maybe that four year or five year period, I started to think about how I would do it if I were to leave. Uh, to begin with, it was mainly to myself. And then afterwards, it was um, with my husband, kind of sharing with him what I had in mind, what I was thinking. And I was still a little bit in denial about the fact that I wanted to leave. And being as determined as I am, I even continued um, along the MBA routes. I went to Cornell while working at Goldman. I went to Cornell, got my MBA there, and built some amazing relationships. So whereas I thought I was about to go to Cornell and level up into an executive or more senior role at a different company, I made amazing relationships and learned more about entrepreneurship. And I specifically had a professor who ran the entrepreneurship um, courses there who also mentored startups. So every time I was on the Cornell campus, we would have tea or coffee or whatever. And I would talk through it and she'd say, so I think you're ready. I think you should do it. Your kids are young. There's no time like the present you will bounce back. You will, you will, you'll be able to do it. And sometimes you just need someone to sow that seed of encouragement in you. And I thought, okay, so I not only have a network now, given that I've gone to Cornell, I have some sponsorship from people who are already advising startups already. Um, I was able to get plugged into the Cornell Entrepreneurship Network, which had a lot of resources when it comes to financing startups and connections. Then I thought, okay, I have a good infrastructure. I have a good ecosystem going. I have the know-how. I have the knowledge. So I started to go through a process of outlining what am I good at and all the things that had helped me excel at Goldman. I put them down and I overlaid them with my passions. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue with my side hustle within the company. I'm going to help 
to build up small businesses, specifically female-led small businesses. And I'm going to help them in creating strategy because that's something that was a part of my role as I established teams, as I built teams. You had to know how to strategically do that, how to launch teams. I done that and now I help people launch businesses. So I took those skills and I applied them to a digital strategy consultancy of my own. And I would say that's kind of my unfair advantage is that I'd seen this process done over and over and helped in that process over and over for other businesses. And so when I went out on my own, I was able to apply a lot of that and pretty much hit the ground running, which is really fortunate for me because there was the overlay of skill and passion. So, but I would say logistically, how did I make it happen? Um, My husband and I had, first of all, I had his buy-in. So if you've listened to the podcast episode I did with my husband, we talked about what it's like to be the spouse of an entrepreneur. So you can listen to that. But um, I had his buy-in. We had to decide what were we going to do to decrease our level of spending because when the paychecks are rolling in you're like cool let's go let's go on a safari in nairobi let's go here let's go there you are a little bit more liberal with the way you spend your money but we have to figure out how are we going to live on less and you can do it you just have to figure out what you truly need and in true finance format, I created a model of all of our expenses and what our current savings was and what if I made absolutely no money for the first year, what was going to be the drain rate? How long were, were our savings going to last us? And it just the numbers made sense. So at a certain point when we had enough savings to last us and keep us comfortable because we had expensive daycare to take care of. Uh, We have, you know, 3000 plus square foot home, Texas size, right? To take care of, we had expenses. So we wanted to make sure that my transition into entrepreneurship was not going to harm my family, right? This is something that was going to be a legacy building move for us. So we had to do it in a smart way. So at that point, we kind of kept talking about, okay, when do we pull the trigger? Because now I I was getting nervous because I was leaving the safety net. And my husband at one point, he was just like, just quit. Just do it. Just just pull the trigger, just quit. So I did. I did. I had the conversation. I, you know, met with my, with my managers and I let them know this is what I was thinking. Um, at the time I didn't even tell them what I was going to be doing. I didn't, I didn't let them know. And, uh, I think that (laughs) some of my friends that, that stayed behind, cause I'm still in touch with a lot of people. They're like, when are you going to tell people what you're doing? Cause every other day someone's cornering me saying, what is she doing? I can't believe she left. (laughs) And so, um, but I think for me, I needed a transition period. So I didn't start working on my business right away. I needed time to detox, I would say, Uh, and I needed time to take care of some personal matters that you don't, you don't take care of when you're always back to back to back to back working. And, um, I, for example, there were, now that I would be working from home primarily, I looked around and I'm like, our home looks like nobody lives here. Like there's no decor, there's nothing. So we took care of some of those home projects that we had put on the back burner. We went on vacation. You know, I did all those things. I got them out of my system. And then a couple months later, I buckled down to work and, um, the rest is almost history. We can go into more detail um, during the Q&A section. So 
if you guys have questions popping up for you, go ahead and put them in the in the in the comments or in the question box, and I'm happy to answer them. But logistically, we were just able to find a date at which we had where all the numbers matched up, and then I quit. Now I would say it's an advantage to have a spouse that's working um, a nine to five because I didn't have to worry about how benefits were going to work. And it's doable. It's doable to still get your medical benefits and your 401k um, independently as an entrepreneur. It's just, I didn't have to worry about it in my case, but it's possible. Um, So at that point, then this brings me into what I do today. And what I do today, I think has gone through a few iterations. At first, I continued with what I was doing as far as I just coached people for free. I just, you know, did a lot of coffee chats and people asked me their questions. They picked my brain. And I think I got a good sense for what are people contending with in this online space. That was iteration one. And I, I, I'm so grateful that I didn't prematurely quote unquote, pull the trigger. I'm so grateful that I was um, thoughtful about giving myself a cushion, a cushion rather. So I wasn't making decisions out of um, rash decisions or making decisions because I was nervous about money. Because when you are trying to sell to people, that desperation really just it just reads right in your approach. So I didn't want to make decisions from a position of lack. I wanted to be mindful about how I approached building my business. So first it was, I coached. Then I did, I started to put more structure around what I did. And I established Pele and co, which is my agency business. And I decided on my, the ideal kind of clients I want to work with. I decided on what specifically I wanted to focus on. So it, with Pele & Co., we are offering a fractional CMO service, so a fractional chief marketing officer service. So companies pay for, pay for a fraction of our time to play that chief marketing officer role within their company. And I chose that because that was a common theme that over, as far as the difficulties companies were experiencing with their brand, with exposure, with content strategy, with how to grow um, through their exposure in the online space, that just came together um, under that CMO umbrella. So we're able to help companies within that world or within that framework. So from there, it was pretty much about continuing to fine tune the offer, continuing to fine tune the way in which I attracted my ideal client. So it's it's been a long journey because this is now year two of my business and I continue to hit new levels. I continue to um, make mistakes and then have to kind of figure out, well, what went wrong? Similar to what I had to do in the corporate space when I didn't get what I wanted. In this space, you have to do it and you have to do it a little bit quicker because everything is in your hands, right? So I would say now... A lot of people tend to ask me questions about, well, how did you know how to structure and build a consulting company? And that's led me to the point where I'm now launching an accelerator that lets people take their corporate expertise or whatever or whatever expertise they have and turn that into a consulting business because I've gotten so many questions around well, how do I do it? So if that's a question that you have, whether live with me or on the replay, if you look at the pinned comment, if you go into the 
bit.ly forward slash consult like a boss. I'm actually having a challenge that's going to allow you to huddle with a group of people and figure out what your expertise is and Potentially, that's the expertise that you're going to need to turn into your consulting offer. So if you're interested in learning a kind of proving framework that I've used for myself and clients to help them narrow in and hone in on what their expertise is, you can join the Consult Like a Boss Challenge. It's a five-day challenge that's starting next Monday, September 21st. I believe. And that's an opportunity for you just to come together with like-minded people. Let's huddle. Let's encourage each other. Let's figure out what is our expertise and how can we turn that into a consulting business. So once you figure out what your expertise is, if you are interested in joining the Consult Like a Boss Accelerator, you can do that at that point. So that's kind of a little, a little pitch there. But today, I also wanted to take questions from you all. So Tola, you said, I want to have that conversation with you, please. What conversation is that? I did not scroll, so I didn't see it when it came. Oh, for, you said shout out to Johnson School. All right, all right. I like when I see fellow Cornelians come in here. So same inspiration for your startup settled nomad group as far as having control over uh, your own future. So how close are you to your financial plan or has there been a lot of change? You know, I, you know, my model was remarkably accurate. So when I looked at my program, my projections month over month, we kept a same, we kept the same burn rate. So in that we spent at the same rate I predicted we would spend, um, so it's been, I think that was good because that shows that we were disciplined about maintaining that lower standard of living that we had set for ourselves. But I also made money before the first year. Um, so that I think was also helpful with balancing it because then I could take the business expense, I could stop loaning my company money, right? So, and I think the other perk of having a consulting um, framework is that the overhead is extremely low. You don't have to spend a lot to make um, quite a bit. So right now, my packages come at a four-figure plus um, price tag. So given that it doesn't take me that much to run it, really, I'm, sh I'm selling my intellectual capital and I'm selling the services that I have. So I don't have an office. I do a lot virtually, which really lent itself to the time we're living in right now. And, um, there, I think for Dallas-based clients, there have been times when I've gone into their offices, yes, but now I think we're all very comfortable with let's jump on Zoom and I have the infrastructure that allows me to work seamlessly in that way. So pretty close, pretty close to my projections. I don't, I don't check it anymore because I'm past that phase of, you know, we really need to watch it. But in the beginning, it was very helpful. And I think at one point I thought about selling that model and I might, I might bring it back where I can, for any of you that are planning on um, making a transition, maybe you can play around with my model and figure out what works for you as far as how much how much you spend and how much you need to have in savings and how much you need to make in order to you know, have a good cushion for your family. So what kind of growth plan do you have? Is it yearly metrics? So the interesting thing that I would not recommend for 
everyone, but I, I'm extra sometimes, is I have different revenue streams. So Pelin Co is more of my agency revenue stream. And I have a different growth plan for Pelin Co that includes having other CMOs to work under me. Because when you have the model, the agency model, it's not scalable as a person or as, as a team of one. So there's a different scaling plan and there are different targets and metrics for Pelin Co. But I also now have a digital media platform in my podcast platform, which I would say took off first. So I didn't expect it to take off as fast as it has. And this year we're monetizing it. So for, for the podcast world, there's an entirely separate, you know, book of metrics that I'm tracking very closely. And when I've talked on here about my funnel and the podcast tends to be the top of my funnel where people discover me through the podcast, they discover me through a lot of what I talk about on here, and then they go deeper with me. And now most recently, so now I'm doing extra. So I have three streams of, of income. Most recently from a personal brand perspective, I'm doing more of the coaching um, courses side of things. So courses and the accelerator, those are more scalable. The people who are going to join the accelerator are going to get my time, but the content is already created. And it's a little bit more scalable to have that arm of my business. So what kind of metrics did I have? I think early on, I needed to be at the very least able to cover all of my expenses. So my you know, household income wasn't having to cover my business income. Um, early on, I set targets from a quarterly perspective. How much income did I want to come or have in above and beyond my um, my expenses? I think that was very important to me. I also had to figure out from my perspective, how much bandwidth did I have and how many clients versus how many podcast interviews versus how many um, personal coaching clients was I going to be able to fit? So I had a lot on my plate, still do. And I am at the point where now, um, year two, my goal was to bring in employees. So that's about to happen. And that's me hitting my target. So I was just talking to someone where I talked about the fact that this pandemic, yes, in the beginning set me back, but I'm still accomplishing and hitting a lot of the targets that I set out to accomplish. They're just happening in a different way. One example, I had planned on having a live podcast event. And as I said, that's the top of my funnel. So a lot of the marketing dollars go into the podcast. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I had a partnership with a great brand, everything lined up. Um, it was going to be sponsored by a fairly large company. Um, and now that's changed and I have a different, more virtual model. So you guys are going to hear about what we're doing on the podcast side of things, but I've been able to get corporate partnerships for the podcast, which is exciting to me. Didn't think I was going to be able to do it given everything that's happened, but here I am. So I'm still hitting those, those targets. How do I balance the time building new businesses and taking care of the current business? So for me, they're all part. I, I think about my revenue streams as spokes on the same wheel. I'm not doing anything entirely new, right? So when you think about the podcast, 
The podcast is the top of my marketing funnel for everything I do. So on the podcast, you're going to hear about the things I'm doing for Pele & Co. You're going to hear about um, the challenge I'm having for Consult Like a Boss. You're going to hear about any courses I'm releasing. You'll hear about it on the podcast. Um, so it's a part of everything I do. And yes, the podcast platform is about to grow. So as that grows, I definitely am going to need help. So I... I'm a big proponent of having what I call a an org chart. Well, it is called an org chart, but an org chart that has your roles as opposed to people's names. Because I've done that mapping out, I know all the hats I wear and I know which hats I need to outsource to different people. So I'm at that outsourcing phase where in order to take the next step in my company, I need to fill those roles. So I've been very conscious about the cadence of my growth. I don't want to get too big for my britches because that is absolutely a recipe for burnout. That is absolutely a recipe for, I, I want to have a reputation of excellence. And so if you can't deliver with excellence, there's going to be a reputation or hit to your, to your reputation that you can't really come back from. So I want to make sure that everything I deliver is being delivered with excellence and I'm being very intentional about the way I'm doing that. So the next question here is, what do you mean when you refer to the small business accelerator being a side hustle like woman? Okay, so um, I, in addition to running a team um, and having a day job, within the company. So I manage the U.S. commercial real estate operations team um, that kind of served our investment banking business, that served our merchant banking business, the whole thing. So, but within the company, I had side hustles, meaning that I, I launched the employee resource group in Dallas for Goldman Sachs's Black employees. So I was the head of the Black network, as we called it. So um, that helped me really build a great network within the Black employee network and um, a lot of the senior leadership that sponsored that network. Another part of my, oh, another side hustle within the company was that I sat on the 10,000 Small Businesses Committee. So that's something that I took part of my day to do was coach those businesses and help to select the businesses that joined the program. So along with my day job, I also did that with the company, which I think is when you think about building an internal resume at work, it's something that is a, a value add when people are looking at who are we going to look to for promotion opportunities, for leadership opportunities. It's going to be someone who has quite a bit of exposure because a lot of people understand the value that they bring to the company. It's going to be someone who has a diverse set of skill sets. Kind of think about when you are interviewing, interviewing for an external job, similar internal job, they look at your, the, your body of work, your resume, and what you've been able to do for the company. And that's one of the things I did for the company. I hope that, I hope that answers your question. So we are in Dallas as well. Do you use virtual assistants or have you hired locally? So this is in progress. And my goal is to use virtual assistants. And something I learned in this search process is that there are different types of virtual assistants, technical virtual assistants, social media virtual assistants, and I'm in the progress of 
cobbling a team together or process of cobbling a team together. So stay tuned. I will let you know because this is something that's new for me as well. And when I learn, I'm I'm all about sharing. But have you guys hired any virtual assistants? Where did you find them? Who did you find them through? Um, I've had some recommendations from a few people that I'm looking through, but I'm open to any any recommendations you guys have. It's Nunu, you said, yep, you found me via the podcast. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, so a lot of people may not have started the way I did with the podcast, but I'm glad I did. And the, the route I went was because it was the easiest for me. I like to talk, as you hear, and it's something that, once again, as I did an assessment of, of all my skills, it's something that I was praised for when I worked at Goldman, so much so that they would send me out into the community to sit on panels. And so it's something that I am naturally good at. And all I had to do was figure out how to put it together. I, I project managed, I built teams, I worked with tech folks to build applications within the company. So it came naturally and I was able to do it fairly quickly. So you plan on using VAs for, the pod, for your property management system. Got it. Yeah, I think it's going to be very, it's going to be a game changer for me, especially when it comes to the admin. I've been very intentional about automating as much as I can, documenting a lot of processes because I know that's something that I insisted on when I managed a team is having documented processes. And if you talk to anyone that came on board to work for me, I had a great streamlined process for people coming to work for me. So I want it to be the same on, in my own business. I want to make sure that people coming on board to work with me ha- have a clear understanding of what it is that their job expectation is so that they can get to it and execute. I don't. I also don't want to waste time and money as I bring people on board. So I've been very intentional about that preparation. I think that's part of what's taking me so long, but it needs to happen pretty soon. And it's been quite a journey. I'm all about giving back. So I'm at the point where I figured out at least most of what has helped me get to the point where I am. So I'm ready to share it with anyone who's looking to make a similar transition. So if you're currently a nine to fiver and you want a side hustle and you feel like there are certain skills that you have in your day job that are not necessarily your primary role, but are a lot of the things that you do or people are always coming to you asking, hey, can you do this? Because I know you're good at it. Then perhaps that is your value add, that is your expertise that you can take and turn into a side hustle. I I love hearing, I don't love hearing this because as the pandemic has hit, a lot of people have been forced to take pay cuts or have lost their jobs and they're figuring out, well, what is next? But also now you have that, um, that shock of the fact that you are just simply at someone's, um, The shock that you are at this point, you're going to be at someone's beck and call as far as whether or not they can fire you. So a lot of people are trying to figure out how can I take back some control? And sometimes taking back control means having a side hustle. I saw a quote recently that said your side, your your nine to five is your most important side hustle. So I think it's a shift in mentality. I love to talk about having a portfolio career because it's that mentality where your career is made up of different facets. You don't put all your eggs in one basket, but you have different ways of bringing 
income into your family. So just as my primary goal when I was working a nine to five was to put my foot on the gas pedal and get as far as I could, because I wanted to get to a point where I could spend as much time as I needed to with my family. I have the same mentality now is I want to build a lasting legacy for my family. And I've been able to, at least at this point, lay a foundation for how that's going to happen. When I think about where I was two years ago or two and a half years ago, I, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted sometimes because some, some of the things I do now, I wouldn't have been able to do while working and solely focused on my nine to five, simply because there were some, there were a lot of restrictions. Um, when you work for a company like I did, there were a lot of restrictions around what you could do because of the high profile nature of the things you worked on. So now I meet a lot of people that I never would have had an in with because I'm able to network with them through the podcast the podcast platforms. And I've, I've also built great relationships with them in doing that. And it's not easy to come from having zero personal brand to now having a, an established personal brand. And I know, I know a lot of people ask me about that. And we've talked about it on the show is how do you build that personal brand footprint for yourself? And I've had to do that. And I share that with, with anyone who's interested, but this journey is I mean, I don't tend to stop and think about it. And so this was a good opportunity for me to just re- reflect on how far I've come. Oftentimes, we don't like to pat ourselves on the back. And, um, but I'm learning to do that. I'm learning to do that because it's, my, it's not my habit to celebrate every single win because I'm like, okay, I'm glad that happened. On to the next. But this is an opportunity for me to at least pause and do a little bit of that. Thank you for jumping on. I really appreciate everyone spending time with me here today. So we'll see you on the next live. Bye. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.